Hello from your favorite Grasslands PR team. This week, we're back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rachel. Oh, that's my cue. Okay. And, uh... (laughs) And today... (laughs) We're going to talk about a bird with a striking flame-colored bill which is a well-recognized emblem of South American wildlife. Toucan. Yeah, that's right. Oh! <laughs> I became just outraged uh, at this very clear and obvious case of grassland erasure. Oh. So that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself for knowing it was a toucan. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I'm also proud. I honestly was not expecting that. Although I guess the beak is kind of a giveaway. Yeah. Also, when I went to Brazil, I was very excited about toucans. They're like pigeons down there. I don't know. I was so excited. I was like, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get to see a toucan. And then they were just absolutely <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> uh, yes. And it's fantastic. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is actually the like characteristic toucan that everybody pictures when they think of toucans. Oh. So it's going to be gonna be fun. Amazing. But first, before we get into toucans, some quick news. We got a couple new ratings. Thank you guys so much. Again, Podchaser is a real good place to leave us some ratings, as well as Apple Podcasts. Um, but we have two. So L. Ryan says... Everything you thought you knew about camels is a lie. This lighthearted and downright wholesome podcast sets the record straight and will make you fall in love with the world's grasslands. Oh, such a good review. That really is. (laughs) I love it so much. And one more from Evan R. Excellent podcast. It's entertaining and informational. Thanks, Evan. Yeah, that's exactly what we're hoping for. Nice to hear that we're meeting our own expectations in the ears of our listeners. Yes, yes. We really do appreciate every review, and it it helps us out. Spreading that word is important. So thank you guys so much. Now on with the toucans. Toucans, toucans. Okay, so where to begin? Well, um, I can tell you the subtitle that I've already come up with for this episode. It's called... In all caps, can we please stop erasing animals' sense of place? (laughs) Which is kind of what got me interested in the species. I, you know, this podcast is always a balancing act, Nicole, with, you know, trying to think of which locations have we covered recently, which groups of animals have we covered recently. Mm -hmm. And now I realize in my... I'm I'm falling into habits, <laughs> despite the, those attempts. Yes, uh, and uh, somehow all of my South American things so far have been colorful, well-known birds, and that's okay, I think, <laughs> um, because there are things that are not expected, maybe in a grassland environment. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, okay, the species we're talking about specifically, because this is going to be a species-specific episode, uh, is the toco toucan. The toco toucan, again, is the characteristic toucan species. Nicole, I know on many Zoom calls and stuff, you've seen my bird wall, and in person, <laughs> of course. Uh, the toco toucans are the ones that uh, are like little wooden painted toucans, you know, on my wall. They're, mm-hmm. they're the ones that have uh, that bright yellow bill 
they're the largest toucan. Um, they have that yellow skin around the eye or yellow feathering around the eye rather. And then like a blue eye, dark jet black feathers. Yeah. Well, you even talk about their cute little white bib. Gosh. Yeah. Cute little white bib. Uh, basically I'm just describing the toucan that you always see like hawking cereal and stuff because it's like the toucan everybody like reverts to. (laughs) Yeah. That is the toucan. And to give you an idea of the kind of habitat this bird is primarily found in, um, I came across a report by the Reserva Ecologica de Guapayasu, um, which is a reserve in Brazil, and they were reporting on a search they had done for edge habitat birds in the area around their reserve. And they were very excited to report a pair of toco toucans had moved in. So on the same survey, they also uncovered species like the grassland sparrow, wedge-tailed grassfinch, grassland yellowfinch, (laughs) massed yellowthroat, plain-breasted ground dove, which are everywhere in Brazil, whistling herons, striped cuckoo, and... The fact that it surprised me to learn that this toucan was actually a grassland bird, I think, kind of brings up the fact that animals seem to always be removed from their habitat when people talk about them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you're you're reading the baseball card of – I can't think of anything. There, there's That's such an old-timey example <laughs> <laughs> of, like, a species account. Um <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's like it's like a, you're just reading off factoids about them and it's almost you know, they're they're completely removed from the context of their ecosystems that they're a part of mm-hmm. and the other animals that live around them. And I kind of suspected that at least some toucans or at least one toucan was a grassland species because you know, it's the Cejado. I saw toucans that were not toco toucans hanging out in the Cejado when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um I the chestnut something toucans cannot think of it off the top of my head, but um you know, so, so I kind of expected it, but I still had to look for it because I didn't know off the top of my head. And it turns out calling this species of toucan a forest bird is kind of like if we called an eastern bluebird a forest bird. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel like a lot of people <laughs> associate bluebirds with forests, so. But <laughs> when you play Wingspan, what habitat is the eastern bluebird always in? Exclusively. The grasslands. Yeah, because it's a grassland species. Well, and that's the same sort of thing, you know? It's like, if there are any trees around at all, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, maybe it's not a, a, a grassland bird. Yeah, yeah. But just because certain birds like habitat with trees because they provide the food they're looking for mm-hmm. or nesting cavities, like in the case of eastern bluebirds, American kestrels, and toco toucans, doesn't mean that they're not specialized <laughs> for that like edge habitat or grassland environment that's more open. Sure. And that's what these toco toucans have done. Two two tans? Did I did I say that weird? Toucans. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Toco toucan is a tongue twister of a name. It just it sounds fake. <laughs> you keep saying it and I'm just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Um okay, this is kinda cute. The uh a couple of the like more international sites for bird research and uh, sightings and information and stuff. Uh, one of them had like an entire list of the name of this toucan in every single language, which is really freaking cute. 
and most of them were very similar. But in Brazil, they call it the uh, tucanusu. Oh. So it's for, for the species itself, yeah. Tucanusu. Also, this may be the fault of translating the website from Portuguese to English, <laughs> but they called one of the baby toucans a puppy. Oh. <laughs> and it made me smile a lot. <laughs> The baby toucan is a puppy. Uh, <laughs> that's great. It it really is. But yeah, th- so that's that's the world that they live in. Uh, so I'm gonna kind of tell you a little bit about this bird, uh, where it's found, and some of the ecological relationships that are interesting for them down in the parts of South America where they live. So first of all. Toucans, taxonomically, because you'll have to pardon my bias, I am a taxonomy nut and I freaking love talking about taxonomy. <laughs> so they are actually in the order Picaformes. Woodpeckers? Yeah, okay. I was like, <laughs> do, do you know bird orders or am I just like asking a lot of you? <laughs> I know a couple. Okay, yes. Not very many. That was luck. <laughs> okay. Well, you did a really good job. So Picaformes is a group uh, that includes honey guides, barbets, woodpeckers, and toucans. So a lot of their habits are kind of similar to woodpeckers, which is fun. Um, They will actually use woodpecker holes for sleeping and nesting and stuff. But when you picture that giant nose on a toucan, it, it does call to mind an image from a totally different continent, something along the lines of like Zazu from <laughs> the Lion King, right? Those hornbills yes. that you find in Africa and Asia. And it turns out that the reason why they look similar uh, goes beyond some superficialities. They are not closely related to those birds, um, but it is a pretty obvious case of convergent evolution between those groups. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, toucans, macaws, and saripocas, which is a d- different group of toucans that's a little bit more unique, um, they are all new world birds that have convergently evolved to look like and fill the same ecological niche as hornbills or uh, bucerotidae in the old world. So it's kind of a cool, like, old world, new new world sort of matching <laughs> that happens here. Uh, they have enormous beaks. They, they're very brightly multicolored. They have similar bear areas around the eyes. They also have, like, some really weirdly specific similarities, like having separated clavicles, so there's no wishbone. Oh, Weird. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and some things about like their their mouth and their beak, like they have a totally closed palate and like this thin, long, keratinized tongue. Yeah, their tongues are unique. not okay. <laughs> they they really aren't. <laughs> um yeah, and again they fill the same ecological niche. So most toucans actually do live exclusively in the forest. Uh, and hornbills are a little bit uh, more diverse in their habitat needs. So hornbills usually live either in the forest or they will live in open grassland areas like savannas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a, a fun difference here in that grassland hornbills tend to be a lot more carnivorous. So if you're a hornbill living out in the African savanna, you're going to be preying on lizards and things like that a lot more 
compared to your New World counterpart, and that would be the Toko Toucan, which is the only non-forest bird uh, toucan um, that we have. And Mm. unlike those guys in Africa, uh, you know, they live in the orchard of Brazil, Mm -hmm. which is brimming with fruit trees, and that's the Cejado. So uh, they stay omnivorous, even when they're living in that grassland environment, because the availability of fruit and other uh, resources is so widespread. So that's a fun little difference in how they fill their ecological niche in uh, those different continents. Yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the things we're going to mention with toucans in terms of their habits and, and behaviors and morphologies can, at least in some ways, uh, be likened to hornbills. And that's pretty freaking cute. Yeah. I don't know. I love it. Um, I just like it. Yes. No. But. Yeah. <laughs> Convergent evolution is super fascinating to me. Like, even if it's as simple as, like, a lot of grassland mammals have long legs so they can see over the grasses. Like, I don't know. It's it's really cool. Um, but one of my favorite things about hornbills, and you might not know this, but, like, their nesting habits are very unique and weird and that they kind of just, like... <laughs> The female will barricade herself inside of the nest in a hollow tree, and the males just kind of, like, feed her through, like, a little slot. Do toucans do that at all? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Uh, from what I can tell, most of them uh, share those parental responsibilities. Okay. So they do not wall up their females in a nesting <laughs> cavity. They, they, instead, they would just, like, let her have a break and then go in there, and go in there themselves. Is that all hornbills, okay. or is it just, like, a certain species? I think it's, and maybe it's not all of them, but it's certainly not just like one species. Let me, I'll Google it. All the hornbills of the, te- of the genus Tauchus have t- uh, do this nesting behavior where the female climbs inside and just walls herself inside. <laughs> wow. That's it's so crazy. cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's such a weird thing. And then like if the male dies, I guess, she, at, would she just abandon the nest? Would she... Die. I don't know. I don't know. Great question. I mean, she can just bust out of there if she wants to, right? Or nah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like, it's a regular hollow. Mm-hmm. They'll excavate it a little bit, uh, make it larger, and they'll do that together, but... Which, like, those bills just don't seem like they'd be good at making oh, nests. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's right? impressive. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, distribution and habits... Toko toucans are found in Central and Eastern South America. They're actually found across a variety of countries, although a lot of them live in Brazil. The only species in the family Raph, sorry, Ramphastidae who does not live exclusively in the forest is the Toko toucan. So they can be found instead in a wide range of semi-open habitats. The most common would be gallery forests, which are a part of the Cejado biome. Uh, kind of in the same way you can find like some forested areas in the Great Plains, the the Cejado itself, and capoes, which is kind of an all-encompassing term for like cultivated areas and areas that are like used by by people in some form, um, like whether it's like parkland or agricultural land, etc. Uh, so basically, okay. they like open habitats with scattered trees. We're talking like plantations, forest edge, uh, and they're also often seen in the Pantanal, which, as 
you and probably our listeners know is the world's largest tropical wetland area, and it's also the world's largest flooded grassland. Uh, so that's... I didn't know that. Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> Why would I have known that? I, I don't know. Everybody talks about the Pantanal, right? Maybe it's just birders I who talk about the Pantanal. I've never heard of that. <laughs> Nerd. Bird people talk about the Pantanal because of all the crazy animals you can find there. Gosh, I, I know some people who went on a trip to the Pantanal recently. Pre-COVID, actually, that was not that recently. Um, <laughs> and on their bird watching tour, they saw a jaguar on the side of the river. Like, wow, okay. Uh. Um, so that's the kind of environment they're found in. And they do not migrate, but there is a lot of local movements that happen, especially as uh, fruit availability changes throughout the season. And you frequently find these guys flying over open fields and wide rivers. Uh, they like to land on top of towering trees. Basically, they make themselves known in the spaces they're living in. And it's really hard to miss them because I believe they are the largest toucan that we have in the world. So oh. they're huge. I might be messing. Hang on, let me Google that and make sure it's true. <laughs> the wingspan's like two feet, so they're not huge. I mean, for a but, toucan. Oh, no, that's certainly, that's certainly. Okay, they're also huh? called the common toucan or the giant toucan. Okay. They're, they're not that big, but they're Just because they're the biggest toucan doesn't mean they're that actually big. Okay, fair. And when you take their beaks away, they're like nothing. Actually, I read an account <laughs> that, you know, when they sleep, they uh, fold their beak and their wing like most birds do. Uh -huh. and, and when they're in that position, they reduce their body size by like two thirds. <laughs> <laughs> so they just shrink to like the third of their body size when they're sleeping <laughs> that's great oh, i love it when they cross those open spaces and rivers and stuff you see them flying and they they fly in this wavy trajectory which reminds me a lot of woodpeckers right uh. so very similar movement there and they are usually in a single file line oh why <laughs> i don't know but they are <laughs> they're not oh. like the most social toucan but they do like usually in the non-breeding season have groups of like i don't know six or so that they hang out in so yeah mm -hmm. just like flying in a little row of undulating wavy toucans it's <laughs> <laughs> amazing thank you i thought so too it was one of my favorite facts i learned except for the one that's coming later okay oh. uh <laughs> so so this, this like distribution that they have, we've actually seen through studies that there is a correlation between the range of this toucan and the availability of fleshy fruits, which make up actually the majority of the toucan's diet. So the availability of fruits directly relates to where you are able to find this bird and what time of year you're able to find this bird as it moves around in its environment. And that brings me to its diet, which again, consists of fruits mostly, but it's important to note that they are omnivores and they additionally eat insects and arthropods. And this is going to be important later. It also tends to loot the nests of other birds oh. and just devours all of their eggs or the babies in the nest. All right. <laughs> yep. Uh, so because of this, uh, they are readily pursued by birds in their reproductive period, according to uh, the Brazilian version of eBird. <laughs> so uh, these guys get pretty harassed because they are known nest destroyers. Dang. Uh, also interesting, and, you know, for some reason, 
actually, we know exactly why, but uh, a lot of the information that exists about toucans and their morphology and biology and stuff comes from more zoological and veterinary sides of science. And uh, the diet of toucans has caused a lot of problems for people trying to keep them in captivity because it seems like they've developed very iron-absorbent organs. And a lot of the diets they are fed in captivity have way too much iron in them, and it leads to, like, some really horrible, fatal conditions <laughs> because they just soak up all of that iron. And it makes sense when you think about their natural diet and their habitat because there's very little iron intake when you're eating mostly fruits and the occasional baby endangered species. Now, as far as their social habits, like you so very helpfully brought up already, <laughs> they do make their nest in hollow trees. They'll also use ravine holes, holes in ravines. So I'm picturing ravine this kind holes. of- A ravine hole. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, that's what was written. I don't know what that looks like. I'm assuming it's kind of like a kingfisher's burrow. It would okay. be like a, a burrow into like the side of a ravine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or in termite mounds, which sounds familiar from our parrot episode, because parrots in the same region that live in grassland environments also nest in termite mounds. Even though it lives in pairs during the breeding season, when it's not breeding season, their flocks, I said they usually hang out in like maybe a size of like six to ten birds is what I've heard. But I've also seen like up to two dozen birds like keeping together in a flock and when they're all together moving around they always fly in single file <laughs> always not just when crossing rivers like picture 24 toucans flying through a forest in single file it's ridiculous and i love it so much i feel like i've been avoiding the topic of the beak <laughs> which i have more on that in a little bit but in terms of how they navigate socially their environment those large colorful bills have been proposed to be used in mate choice. And there isn't a lot of like data to back this up, um, but their beak is involved in their mating rituals. And uh, <laughs> uh, we, we call their mating ritual a fruit toss. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is so cute. So yeah, they, they will uh, gather up fruit and uh, this, in, the entire courtship ritual consists of either the male or female initiating just a little fruit toss. Oh. Did I find what this looks like? No. But, you know, their typical eating behavior for this species is, like, literally tossing the fruit up into the air and eating it. So I'm imagining they're just, like, tossing fruit in sync and not, like, tossing it to each other to catch. Okay. Well, it's not cute anymore. That's just, that's just eating beside each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got so excited. I thought they were tossing <laughs> food at each other. <laughs> Maybe they toss it back and forth. Man, I want to know what a fruit toss looks like. Give me a fruit toss. A toko toucan courtship. Wow, I found it immediately. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the YouTube video? Oh, I see it. Listen to those dumb noises they make. <laughs> yes, okay, so let's watch a fruit toss together. <laughs> Ah, so it's much less, you know, tossing a fruit salad or something, and much more <laughs> just like a typical food exchange, <laughs> mm -hmm. which a lot of birds have. Um, but yeah, I, I don't cute. know. It's very cute. It. <laughs> it's very cute. And, you know, that's, that's really the only uh, indication that the beak 
might have something to do with mate selection. But again, there's no specific data to back that up. So who knows? Mm. Okay, now in that video, you heard like the ridiculous like little rattling calls they make. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they do communicate a lot when they're out in their loose canopies where they hang out. So the other vocalization they make besides that rattling sound is described as like being almost like a the mooing of a cow. <laughs> or a female saiga. <laughs> or a saiga, sure. Saiga <laughs> antelope. Um yeah, I guess some people in Goyaz call this bird a cattle toucan because of that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a quite a loud sound. And uh, I read this and it just made me cackle. Um, quote, although the bright colors of their beak successfully camouflage the species in the forest canopy, their noisy vocalization seemed to defeat the purpose of their <laughs> camouflage. So they're they're not trying to hide, I guess, is the point. And uh, they're very loud. Also, I'm confused as to how a gigantic bright yellow and orange beak is camouflage, but... Um, (laughs) Are they trying to be a fruit? They love fruit so much. They become (laughs) fruit. They become fruit. And, you know, it probably doesn't look all that different from the leaves around them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't say that very confidently. (laughs) Well, because that's what I've seen described. And... I think seeing them in their environment, it's a little bit easier to see what is meant by that. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. You're like, I do not agree. Um, but how about let's rephrase it to make it a little bit make to make it make more sense. If they have any camouflage at all or any sense of trying to hide, it's completely nullified by the fact that they're just up there mooing loudly at each other. <laughs> Good? Okay. <laughs> yes, perfect. Uh, yeah. And, okay, you know, that actually leads to maybe a little bit more, like, morphological detail about that beak. Because, I don't know, I, I tried very hard to find some scientific papers about toucan beaks. And it turns out a lot of the published works, at least the ones that I easily found were biomaterials papers where they were, like, comparing the strength of, like, artificial toucan beak foams and stuff uh, to hornbill artificial beak foams and and things like that. Uh, (laughs) But we we do know that this beak is, of course, very light, and it's incredibly resistant and strong. Interestingly, the the hornbill beak, according to the biomaterials papers I glanced through, uh, is can withstand more, like, crushing force. So maybe they're eating harder things that aren't just fleshy fruits <laughs> in uh, Africa and Asia. But as far as the toucan goes, um, never mind, this is true of hornbills too, and now I'm confusing myself. But this form that this beak has, as Nicole certainly knows, birds' hollow bones are not just hollow. They are actually extensions of the bird's lungs. And the beak is the same way. So it is uh, very spongy in material. It's, you know, got like a lattice work inside of it almost that adds strength to the material. But it is hollow and the hollow cavity is pneumatic or full of air, which means that the air sacs attached to the respiratory system of the bird um, continue into the bones and become a part of the bird's air system. So it's literally connected to the outside air in its beak. 
And another function of that beak actually does serve as a resonating, like, resonant box for their vocalizations, basically. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the beak is also incredibly vascularized, so it also probably helps to disperse heat and regulate their uh, their body heat and stuff like that, too. So, what I'm hearing is toucans are flying cygas. <laughs> I, I'm going to... I'm going to say that that is not true, <laughs> but I'm going to say that I see your point. Thank you. And that you. it's an interesting point. I look forward to reading an essay about this in the future. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just like woodpeckers in the same group as them, uh, they have zygodactyl feet, which makes me smile. Not very many birds have that. You know, like parrots will have an X-shaped toe arrangement, basically. Owls have it. And toucans and woodpeckers. So they have that in common with their pickiform friends as well. Two toes forward, two toes back. Yep. And then they have a, a pretty long tail, and that's just to help to counterbalance the giant beak <laughs> that they have. Uh, another thing that makes toucans a little bit unique involves powder down. Oh. What's powder down, Nicole? <laughs> oh, no. Um, wait. Okay, I let's mean- go. I know that some water birds have it, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I thought it was for waterproofing, but I don't think toucans swim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Well, I mean, to be fair, herons don't swim either. Yeah, that's true. Uh, So the other birds that have powder down include parrots, pigeons, herons, toucans, and bowerbirds, apparently? Which I did oh. not know bowerbirds were on that list. I usually just hear uh, pigeons, herons, and parrots. <laughs> uh-huh. So I didn't even know toucans had it either. So these are specialized feathers that are always growing, and they kind of shed this like really fine white powder. Some people will call it like a waxy powder. And actually what the powder is is a very tiny grain of keratin from the feathers. And basically these like powder granules cover the feathers of the body of these birds and they do act as a waterproof dressing for those feathers just like you say why are you describing this in the worst way i am describing (laughs) it accurately okay (laughs) hey i'm gonna make it better it cleans the plumage and gives the beak a dusty appearance no it's not better (laughs) (laughs) why did you hate that so much i don't know i can't remember what the first part was that kind of weirded me out but then just a dressing for the feathers (laughs) like Like a salad yeah and then we'll have a fruit toss after (laughs) oh no um yeah so i don't know what what i'm gonna say is that I guess living in this environment, toucans are not the, sorry, the toko toucans are not the most basal form of toucan, and every other toucan lives in rainforests and forested areas and stuff. So it, it does make sense that maybe somewhere back in the ancestral chain, it was advantageous for them to have some waterproofing, not from swimming in the mm-hmm. water, but, you know, from living in a wet environment. Okay, okay. That's going to be what I say. But it it is an interesting feature that they have. And if their beaks ever look like they have like a little bit of a, a waxy coating on them, that's because they've been rubbing them 
uh, in their oils and then picking up all that nice powder down. What? It was, was that still really I bad? Just, yeah, I was just waiting for you to make it gross. I was like, is this... <laughs> it's fine. It's perfect. It's not gross. It's natural. They're <laughs> natural so Natural things can be gross. Oh, you're right. Okay, it is gross, but like in a nice clean sort of way. You know, it's like... Keep in an oily clean. sort of way. Yeah, okay, well, think about it this way. If a toucan was, like, hanging out in a tree with other toucans and got pooped on by a toucan, <laughs> it'd be a lot easier to clean the feathers because of the powder down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, okay. <laughs> nature works in mysterious ways. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> Speaking of nature working in mysterious ways, um, I... I want to kind of come back to this idea of this toucan being sort of disconnected from its sense of place and the environment that it inhabits just for a little bit. Because, I don't know, I know I started the episode by saying it's weird when we take this animal completely out of its environment. And then I proceeded to kind of, (laughs) in some ways, talk about it outside of its environment. Um, but I, I really want the point of this episode to be looking at this bird and how it fits in the Cejado and, and why it can live there because of the overwhelming numbers of fruit trees that dot those savannas and that they love the open spaces that they're living in. And also because they have some interesting relationships with other animals that live there. Um, and actually one of the most Uh, I guess, significant and frequently cited examples was something that was discovered somewhat recently and involves another species that lives with it in uh, the Pantanal wetlands in central Brazil. Toco toucans have a very interesting relationship with hyacinth macaws. Oh, Yeah. And hyacinth macaws may have come up before as like an honorable mention grassland bird species. Again, the the Pantanal is technically considered a wetland. It's also a large flooded grassland. It's been featured in nature documentaries frequently where it's functioning as a grassland, but then it becomes so flooded that it's functionally like, you know, elephants swimming through grass. (laughs) Um, So it is is, um, not outside the realm of this podcast is what I'm trying to say. But in this region of Brazil, the endangered hyacinth macaw, which is that really beautiful, like deep ultramarine blue parrot, uh, it is the largest macaw and the largest flying parrot in the world. There is a non-flighted parrot that's larger. There's a non-flighted parrot? (laughs) Oh my god, Nicole, are you serious right now? Yeah? The, the cockapoo? Oh, that little green ding-dong. <laughs> cockapoo. I, for- I, I thought he was, I, I forgot he was a dog parrot. breed. <laughs> wow. Cock-a-poo. I forgot that little green ding-dong was a parrot. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's the one that, like, famously uh, is shagging with- that man's head. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> is shagging, like, a bad word to use for international viewers, listeners? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, shagging that man's head. Um, <laughs> fantastic. I love it so much. Um, but yeah, apart from that bird, uh, this is the largest parrot. 
And um, I, let me let me tell you a little bit more about this hyacinth macaw because I don't think we talked about it in any detail in the parrot episode, but it is another cavity nesting bird, and it makes its nest almost exclusively in the hollows of a specific tree species called the monduvi. And there was a, a study somewhat recently, yeah. So in in two thousand seven, researchers took a look at the relationship between this hyacinth macaw and toco toucans for a specific reason. And remember how I said that uh, they tend to just be really murderous birds <laughs> during the breeding season? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so toco toucans kill a lot of baby endangered hyacinth macaws. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So this study was looking at some ecological relationships between these animals and the environment they're living in. And here's where it gets incredibly interesting, because it turns out that these toucans appear to have a specialization in the diet of the tree that the hyacinth macaw exclusively nests in. Oh... Yeah, so so here's the thing. In the study, they realized that toco toucans were visiting the manduvi trees and feeding on those fruits at a rate that was very disproportionate to what they should have. So they found, like, through data, like, empirically, that they really preferred eating those fruits. And through this research, they realized, for a couple of reasons— Toco toucans are responsible for 83% of the seed dispersal for that tree. Dang. Yeah. And the the reason why these seed dispersal services were, like, so good for the tree were a couple of things. Um, and one of those is the, the distance at which this bird travels. So the fact that it loves flying out over open spaces and bridging new areas means that it's way better at spreading those Manduvi seeds further apart, which is actually beneficial for hyacinth macaws because their habitat requirements mean they do not like to stay in a clustered area. They like to spread out into different stands of trees and, you know, explore new habitats so they're not, like, all cramped into the same space. So the way that these toco toucans distribute the seeds actually creates the favorable habitat for the hyacinth macaw to survive, which is interesting. They also found in the study that the toco toucan is responsible for 53% of all the dead macaw babies. <laughs> Dang. That's what I was going to say. How much of this is, like, you know, self-serving? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and that's an interesting thing, right? And so this this relationship has been identified, and that's pretty much the extent to which it's been identified, that mm. the toco toucans murder, like, half of the murdered macaw babies, but they also do most of the seed dispersal for the tree that the macaws depend on. Yeah. And creating the ideal habitat that these macaws depend on. And so this is kind of like an insane ecological puzzle that's been uncovered. I love that the researchers called it a case of conflicting ecological pressures, because that's exactly what this is. It's like the reproduction of the hyacinth macaw is indirectly dependent on the seed dispersal services of its major nest predator, 
And so really what this showed for the researchers is just how intricate Mm -hmm. these interactions are in like these super species rich environments like the Cejado and the Pantanal where there's so many different animals here and there's so many different ways they're interacting that, you know, if the hyacinth macaw wasn't endangered, maybe we would never have studied this to find it out, you know? Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about how many species there may be that are tied by these very subtle, indirect links. And, you know, for conservationists working with these birds, that brings up an interesting point because, you know, trying to preserve the hyacinth macaw, there's no reason why they wouldn't try to, you know, influence toko toucan populations in order to do that. You know, like these are not birds that are vulnerable at all. And, you know, there's other reasons that they cited that, you know, doing some kind of predator control to eliminate them from certain environments that are more endangered, I guess, uh, you know, would would otherwise be an obvious conservation action. Mm-hmm. But now there's like this really subtle ecological link that needs to be taken into consideration. And it's like, hey, <laughs> In order to do the best type of conservation for the species, we need to be able to take that stuff into account. And even if it's not saying like, hey, let's let toko toucans murder macaws as much as they want, like that maybe isn't the thing that needs to happen. But they certainly can't keep toko toucans away from the macaws trees because that's, you know, the ecological niche that they're filling that's incredibly valuable to the macaws. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's such an interesting conversation and i love putting these animals back into their habitats and and thinking about what they're like within those habitats and how many of these interactions there must be and the type of critical role these animals must be playing in an environment where you know a lot of the other birds around might be a little bit smaller in some places or maybe aren't eating the same types of fruits and Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so complex. And again, this particular environment is so species rich that it's probably next to impossible to uncover even a majority of those relationships. But yeah, I guess some sometimes when I feel like people are talking about animals like the tokotukan, they, they talk about it out, completely outside of the ecosystem that they're a part of. It's like, yes, they eat fruit, but... You know, it's not talking about why that is or what role that plays in the environment that they live in. It's almost like they become an exhibit on in a zoological environment almost. And they lose that sense of place they have where they really are a dynamic piece of a complex environment that we really shouldn't take them out of that context. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's so easy to just be like, Wow, cool looking bird. What does it eat? Fruit. Okay, how many babies does it have? Oh, okay, cool. And it's like, it's so much more complex than that. Yeah, and, you know, when I know the toko toucan is not an endangered species and it's not any sort of risk, um, but still, when we're generally talking about messages of conservation, um, which is obviously, you know, almost at a catastrophic level of need right now in our in- worldwide environment because of things like climate change and anthropomorphic changes to the environment that are causing development and stuff. And, and the Cejado, 
you know, is under a lot of pressure. And there's been a lot of really good work that's going on um, in Brazil to conserve the Cerrado. But I don't know, like, yeah, okay. So like, what what the conservation of the habitat this animal lives in would look like is not the same as any other toucan. And it's not the same as, you know, uh, toucans that live in the rainforest or other South American wildlife. You know, like this species has a very specific ecological niche and that may allow it to spread out across a wide variety of habitats. But it's kind of an injustice when conservation is such a need for us to be like, wow, look at this cool animal and never give you a sense of the place that it comes from and the role of the environment that it's living in. And I mean, this wasn't an episode about the Cejado. I talk about it a lot. So I guess I'm assuming I don't need to talk about it a whole <laughs> lot here. But this is this is somebody's backyard bird, I guess, <laughs> is another point here too. You know what I yeah. mean? And that person's backyard looks a lot different from our backyard. And there's similarities we can draw from it. And there's ways that people in Kansas are doing conservation that is the same as people in Brazil are doing for conservation for these toucans. And, you know, it's like by, by taking animals out of that sense of place, we lose a lot of the human connection and the conservation connection in addition to just losing that sense of ecosystem complexity, which is kind of the most interesting things. <laughs> then it's not how many eggs they lay that's interesting. It's how they fit into the world that yeah. they live in. So yeah, that's all I have to say, Nicole. No, I love it. it. It's true. Like, yeah, the relationships between animals and between animals and plants and like all these really interesting things that are so easy to overlook are important. And I'm glad that you shared that with us. Even if it's just one tiny relationship, you know, in the Sahado. It's so important for that ecosystem, so I love it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Best Biome. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and consider leaving us a review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on Facebook and Twitter, send us some fan mail, and we'll see you next week. The next time you see a toucan on a TV commercial hawking cereal or something, um, picture it murdering endangered macaws. That's all. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay.